been um, kind of full studying this week and, and blessed and uh, diverted a little bit from what I initially intended to, to share with you. But um, I'm going uh, to ask your prayers this morning as I try to, to bring this message. I want to take a text in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And the title of the message we want to share is Gifted for the Glory of God. Gifted for the Glory of God. And the book of Ephesians has two general themes throughout this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. One is that Jesus Christ is reconciling creation to Himself. And number two is that His church unifies believers of every background to participate in this task of reconciling the world to Himself. And as we get to chapter 4 in the book of Ephesians, it starts off in the first uh, six verses where Paul is trying to draw these people together. He's trying to take this church of different people from different backgrounds, different life experiences, but who had all professed a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and realizing their call to serve Him had joined themselves in this body and he spends the first six verses of chapter 4 reminding them of what they have in common. That they have one body, that they have one spirit, there's one faith, one baptism, that they have one God and Father that's over them all, amongst them all, within them all through His Spirit. So he's reminding them of all they have in common. But then in verse 7, he starts to explain to them that they're not all the same. Even though they have all these things in common that he has equipped and gifted them uniquely. And that's, I want to read that as our text here in just a moment. But he starts to talk about that in verse 7 and then goes on through verses 8 and 10 in a passage that honestly, as I've studied and I've tried to preach and teach to this passage before, it's one of those that just almost seems like he goes on a rabbit trail. It's like, what are you doing, Paul? I mean, kind of stick to the subject. Because as you read through Ephesians 4, you kind of come to this part where he talks about taking captivity captive and ascending and descending. And then he kind of goes back to his point to talk about equipping people in the church with spiritual gifts. And, and so... Oftentimes, I kind of just, as I've preached or taught through this in the past, I've just kind of rushed through it or jumped over it a little bit because it just didn't seem to fit in my mind. But that's where the Lord has drawn my heart uh, this week. And after that passage, Lord willing, we'll get to that tonight or next Sunday, however the Lord would have us to do it. And He talks about the gifts in the church and how He wants to bring us together. But I want to start in verse 7. This is after he's explained all the things that they have in common. He says in verse 7, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, When he ascended up on high... He led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now, that He ascended, what is it but that He also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended 
is the same also that ascended up far above the heavens, that He might fill all things. And let's pray before we go any further this morning. Our most gracious Holy Father God, I pray that You would still our hearts and our minds today from all the other distractions and the things, Lord, in our souls that can distract us, Lord, from what we're truly here for today. And I pray, Lord, that You would speak to us from Your Word, that You would direct our hearts and minds, Lord, in such a way that we who know You, Lord, might understand our calling and the great and glorious purpose of our lives, Lord, the reason that You left us here, that we might see, Lord, how this fits in Your whole scheme of redemption even more clearly. And Lord, for those today who perhaps are struggling under the weight of sin, Lord, in some way captive to and ensnared, Lord, by the devil, by our enemy, Lord, that You would give them light in that dungeon, Lord. Hope that they would realize, Lord, if they've been saved, that the key, Lord, hangs around their neck, Lord, to be free from those things. And to, Lord, those who don't know You, God, who have never tasted the freedom of Christ today, Lord, and perhaps they feel that they are too far gone, Lord, I pray that they may see and believe, Lord, that Jesus Christ has died to set them free. Lord, help us today. Be in our midst. May Your presence be with us. May, Lord, You work past the weakness of the speaker, Lord, to accomplish Your plans and purposes to the glory of Your Son, Jesus Christ. For it's in His name we pray. Amen. Amen. We see in verse 7, it starts with that word, but, which means a contrast. We have been talking about everything that we've got in common. But as he goes into verse 7, he says, but in contrast to the fact that we all have so much in common, he tells us that unto every one of us, each one of us, is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Now, he's not talking about salvation there. We understand that we're saved by grace through faith. And in that sense, we all have that same grace of salvation upon us. But here, the Apostle Paul is speaking about spiritual gifts. And there is much we could say about that, and we're not going to try to go through and name them all and identify those gifts that are active and working today. But the point is that the Lord has given each one whom He has saved, as He will, according as He desired to do, gifts that you might use to serve Him. He has given to you gifts that you might use to serve Him. And the way the Lord has made you up spiritually with those gifts is different and unique from the way He's made up anybody else. Yeah. We're not all supposed to be the same. We can have more than one gift and we can have them in different measures. And not only can we have different and unique gifts, but as the Scriptures teach us in 1 Corinthians 12, that we can have a different um, apportions, we can have different operations or things that we do, different effects, things that God wants to accomplish through our gifts. There's such a diversity of the way the Lord wants to paint the picture of our life. And so we have those different things according to the measure, it says, of the gift of Christ as the Lord chose to give them to us. And we go on in verse 8 now. 
And he said, so you all have these different gifts as the Lord chose to give them to you. And then he goes into verse 8 and he, he quotes Scripture. He says, wherefore, he saith, or what he's saying is, thus the Scriptures say, and he quotes, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. So here in verse 8, the Apostle Paul is quoting Scripture. He's quoting, of course, Old Testament Scripture. That's the Scripture they had available to them at this point. And specifically, he is quoting from Psalm 68. Psalm 68. And so, normally I would tell you, just keep your finger here and flip over to Psalm 68. But we're going to spend a little bit of time there. So... When it's time to come back to Ephesians 4, I'll tell you. It reminds you where we were at. But go ahead and go with me in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 68. We're not going to read the entirety of the psalm. We're just going to read a portion of this psalm. But I want you to understand the significance of what this psalm is. A psalm is a song. There are songs that were written under the inspiration of the Spirit of God to be sung um, among God's people in Israel. Actually, even today, the Bible tells us that we're supposed to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And this Psalm 68 was written by King David. And we cannot be 100% certain, but there is strong evidence that this song was written by David for the occasion of bringing the Ark of the Covenant into the holy city of Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem was a city that David had captured. It became known as the city of David. It became known as Zion. It became the place where they placed the tabernacle. And eventually, David's son Solomon built the temple. Even today, it is considered a holy and reverenced site. And the ordination, if you will, of that city to be such a special and holy place was that the Ark of the Covenant, that was that box that was made according to the description the Lord gave the people, a place where God's presence dwelt above that box in the Holy of Holies, a place where the blood of the sacrifice was sprinkled on the Day of Atonement each year. It was a place of recognizing sacrifice and a place of recognizing the presence of God. This ark was carried into the, um, the tabernacle that was at the time of David into that place to dwell so that God's presence dwelt in the capital city of the people. And the Bible tells us when that happened that David went before the ark and there was dancing and there was singing. And there's a lot of reason to believe, and I'm not going to go into all that, that this perhaps is the song that they sung. And it, to me, it's so interesting that Paul cites this psalm when he is describing there in Ephesians 4 Christ's victorious ascension into heaven after completing the sacrifice for our sins. If there was a song that would be appropriate to Christ Himself rising into the holy tabernacle, the holy place, 
This would be the song. This would be the song. Here in Psalm 68, I'm going to read starting in verse 15. And this is recognizing the, the holiness of Mount Zion, Jerusalem, where the ark was heading. It says in verse 15 of Psalm 68, The hill of God is as the hill of Bashan. That was a very high mountain and around Galilee that people would recognize. A high hill as the hill of Bashan. So he's saying Mount Zion has, is, is not losing a thing on Mount Bashan. Why leap ye, ye high hills? This is the hill which God desires to dwell in. Yea, the Lord will dwell in it forever. The chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of angels. The Lord is among them as in Sinai in the holy place. What he's saying is Mount Sinai. Remember where God met with Moses? Sinai, the place where God met, is now in the sanctuary. So the ark, if you will, is coming to dwell on Mount Zion. And then here's the verse specifically that Paul quotes. He says, Thou hast ascended on high. Thou hast led captivity captive. Thou hast received gifts for men. Yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. Blessed be the Lord, who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. Selah, which means pause. Which means there's a break in the song. And that's a good place for us to stop right there. Paul quoted verse 18 from this psalm. And it says, Thou hast ascended on high. Now, for the Jew that was reading this passage, was hearing this song for the first time, and no doubt they sang it. It was written under the inspiration of the Spirit. David wrote it. They sang the song. But if you're a Jew living at this time or living after that time, before the days of Christ, or even living today, and you don't believe that Jesus is the promised Messiah, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? Thou ascended on high. Who ascended? Who went on high. Who went up? Well, to the Jewish mind, they would think, well, that certainly can't be the Lord. Isaiah 57, 15, it says, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place. And so to the Jewish mind, they would think God is already on high. It certainly can't be Him ascending because He's already up there. And so, to the Jewish mind, Psalm 68 has always been a bit of an enigma. What do you do with this passage? Who went up? Who led captivity captive? What they have said about it is that, well, it must be talking about Moses. Moses went up to Mount Sinai where the Lord was at. and He went up there and the Lord 
gave him the law. And he brought that down to us. And he gave us the gift of the law. And so they will apply this to Moses. But Moses isn't mentioned any place else in that psalm. So you're kind of just having to bring that in here. But we see Jesus. But we, when we read this, we see Jesus. And that's why in Ephesians 4, when Paul is quoting this passage, he explains to us, he says in verse 8, we quotes, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. There's the quote. And then Paul explains verses 9 and 10. Now, here's how to understand this. He that ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended, meaning he started from above and he came down, he's the same also that ascended up far above all the heavens. So Paul is explaining to us how we can see Jesus here. That God came down and dwelt among us. And He, after coming down and dwelling among us, He ascended back up. But when He went back up, my friends, He had not just come for a visit. He had not just come down, perhaps like it was in the Garden of Eden, to walk in the garden in the cool of the day. He came to do something. He came to accomplish something when He came to this place. He did miracles like no one had ever seen. Who had ever opened the eyes of the blind? Who had ever raised the dead like Jesus did? He spoke as no man had ever heard people speak. His teaching was revolutionary. He spoke with authority, unlike the people they were used to having to listen to. The way Jesus spoke was unique. But it wasn't just the miracles, and it wasn't just the teaching, and it wasn't even living that good life in front of all those people. It was becoming sin for us. In the garden, when he drank that cup, I believe that's where it happened. That's my opinion. That's not one thing you have to live and die on that. But I believe in the garden, he took upon him the sin of the whole world. For after that, he was arrested and he was uh, treated horribly and went to the cross and died and was buried for my sins, for your sins, for the sins of the whole world, as the Scripture says. But when he went to that grave, grave was not... The final word. Death was not the final word. Death did not win the victory, but Jesus on that Easter Sunday morning rose victorious over death and the grave. And that is where we see Psalm 68 making so much sense because it's telling us He ascended on high and He didn't just go back after visiting. It says He led captivity captive. This is, this is good, folks. This is really, really good right here. 
What does it mean to lead captivity captive? What does that mean? Captivity are the things that have captured us. The things that have ensnared us. The things that have entrapped our lives. And my friend, if you are born, live in this world, which is all of us, right? You are born with a what nature? A sin nature. You're born under a curse, right? You are born under the curse of sin. And the curse of sin, and we all know that well, if we live very long, we have this sin nature within us and there is this desire in us to do exactly the opposite of what God is calling us to do. And there is a rebellious heart within us that wants to pull away from the living God. You know, many of us, when we first felt the Spirit of God drawing us to salvation, it's very few testimonies that I've heard where people said, oh, I just ran to the Lord because there is just this tendency in us to want to run and hide from the Spirit of God dealing with our hearts. We have this rebellious, sinful nature. And with that sin comes the curse of death comes the curse of death, that sin leads to death, and not just the closing of our eyes in this world, but the then opening our eyes eternally in hell and dying forever and ever and ever in that evil, awful place. There is also the captivator, Satan, and all of his demonic powers, and the ways that he was the one who seduced us. He seduced our first father, right? Adam and Eve, and drew them into sin, which they followed after. And how He continually works against us in this world and all of His demons. And the picture here that we see in this song is that Jesus came down and He grabbed all of these things that would take us captive. Sin and Satan, death, and the demonic powers. And He has wrapped them all up. And here He leads these captors home. Not to take them home, but He's like on a victory parade, kind of kicking them as He goes along. He says, these no longer have any power, for I have bound them. I have captured them. They have no hold on you, on My people. It's a victory parade of Jesus Christ defeating decisively the enemy. That is leading captivity captive. And this picture is not only here in Psalm 68, but we see it elsewhere in the New Testament. Paul, when he writes Colossians 2.15, he says, He, Jesus, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. 2 Corinthians 2.14, he writes, But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. That's from the ESV. It, it, it translates that concept, this, this concept of a victory march. A victory march over sin and death and the devil and all of those demonic powers. He leads us in a triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. Through Jesus Christ, 
No enemy can have enduring power over you. Amen. No enemy can have enduring power over you. For he has taken captivity. The captivators. He has taken them captive and accomplished this. And he has ascended on high, having finished this work. Now let me say this. Sin's real. And Satan's real. And they can still do a great number on us after we're saved. If we allow them to. And we need to respect our enemy. But we don't need to honor our enemy. Amen. We need to respect the enemy. But we don't need to honor the enemy because all the honor goes to Jesus Christ for they are defeated foes. And it tells us that after he led captivity captive, it says, he says here in the Old Testament, it says, Thou hast received gifts for men. That's where Paul ends his quote in Ephesians, or excuse me, in Psalm 68, 18. He says, Thou hast received gifts for men in Psalm 68. Over there in Ephesians 4, and I want you to recognize the difference, because I think we have to. We have to hit these things on the head. In Ephesians 4, when Paul quotes that, he's, he says it a little bit differently. It says, you can turn back to Ephesians 4 now in verse 8. It says, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now, if you read that there in the Old Testament, it says he received gifts for men. Paul quotes, he gave gifts to men. Why is it different? That Hebrew there in, the, in Psalm 68 can mean receiving for the purpose of giving. And so Paul is going right to that point that Jesus received something that He then turned around and He gave to men. The picture here is the spoil of battle. For in that day, when someone defeated an enemy, they got to take all their stuff. They got to take all their stuff. It was now theirs because they defeated that prior enemy. Well, spiritual gifts did not belong to Satan, but the spoil, if you will, in this picture is the Spirit of God that He pours then upon His people. And that's exactly the way those apostles understood what happened when the Lord poured out His power on the day of Pentecost. Peter preached in Acts 2.33, he says, Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, He has shed forth this which you now see and hear. Peter sees that because of Christ winning the victory and going to be at the right hand of God, He has received this gift of the Father, and He is now giving that to His people. And it's important for us when we talk about spiritual gifts that we understand the purpose of the gift that we've received. You see, all these things that I've told you, I used to, I used to, as I read through this passage in Ephesians 4, I would kind of think this is like one of those little aside things. But as it often is, when God takes us on a detour, there's a reason for it. There's a reason for it. And the reason for this passage right here in Ephesians 4 is He wants us to get the big picture of what this is all about and specifically in His church. 
Because back in verse 7 it says we've been given this gift, this grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And then down in verse 10 at the bottom, we see as Paul is explaining what the background behind all this, he's saying that he, he did this that he might fill all things. That this is part of Christ wanting to fill all things. You see, if you have been saved by the grace of God, you have been given a portion of His reward. The Spirit, He has given you grace. He has given you giftings. So that through you, His victory might be published and proclaimed in this world. That's why you have the gifts that He's given you. And I must, I'm going to be just blunt right now. I know some of you are going to say, Oh, I don't know that I have any gifts. My friend, God is not a liar and He says you do. Amen. So let's not argue with what God has said. Let's just try to figure out what He'd have us to do. Right? I know that's a little blunt, but I say it to you in love. If you've been saved, you have been gifted by God to serve Him. And you may not understand all of what that is, but it's there. And He wants you to understand. He wants you to use what He's given you for His purpose. But you've not been called to publish this victory alone. Because what Paul is calling us to, to help us understand, is that your gifting, the place where you make the most sense, where your life can be all that it's meant to be, is in His church. Yeah. Amen? Amen? That's where your gifting That's where what God has given you, that's where it reaches its fullness of expression. Because He has called you and your gifting to fit like a piece of a puzzle into the picture of Christ that He is trying to paint in this place. So that His victory, what He has done, what He has accomplished, can be known and seen in its fullness. That's the type of language Paul speaks when he talks about his church in Ephesians 1. He says, Christ has put all things under His feet and gave Him to be the head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. You see, in the church, and I know we're all a bunch of messed up people in this church. There's not a one of us who's got this all figured out. But I believe that in the Lord's church we should be seeing the best picture of Christ that can be seen in this world. If we would do what the Lord would have us to do. That Christ and His glory and His power would fill this place that the world would see. When Paul finished the third chapter of Ephesians, he wrote this, To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I don't care how old you are. You know, sometimes I know among, you know, the the later generations, the, the, the younger generations, there is a fad going around right now, and it can't last. It's going to fizzle out, but the concept of just you don't really need the church. You just kind of go and gather in these different places. But my friend, 
The, the Bible has made it clear that His solution of the church is for every generation. It has relevance and importance to us in every generation. If the Lord would tarry His coming, I hope those of you who are younger will be trying to teach your kids and your grandkids these very same things because this is Christ's solution for them too. Amen. It's Christ's solution for them too. And we carry His fullness in this world and we have this clearly defined mission to glorify Jesus Christ. I want to take you one more place and I'll, I'll move to close. Perhaps one of the most intimate things of Jesus we read in the Scriptures is His prayers. You really want to get to know somebody you can get past the boilerplate prayers that sometimes we pray in public. But if you get down to know how they pray, I'm sure there's things that you utter in your prayer closet nobody else knows. Things that are on your heart that you carry, that you lift up to God in the quiet of that place. Perhaps not even vocalizing it, but just in your heart and in your mind lifting these things up to God that nobody else sees. But it's more of the true you, right? It more shows what you're really about. In John 17, we read what's called the high priestly prayer of Jesus. And there's some things that Jesus said in that prayer which are very special. Part of which is where He prays for us. He prays for us. And I, and I want you to read with me part of what Jesus prayed in John 17 starting around verse 20 I'm just going to read just, a, just a, three verses of this Jesus says in John 17 starting in verse 20 neither pray I for these alone just the disciples of that day but for them also which shall believe on me through their word that's us he's praying for those next generation. So here Jesus Christ is praying for you. Yeah. Okay? This is beautiful. And what does He pray? He prays that they, may, that they all may be one. Notice how many times He prays this. That they all may be one as Thou, Father, art in Me and I in Thee. That they also may be one in us that the world may believe that Thou hast sent Me, and the glory which Thou gavest Me, I have given them. What's that? The Spirit, the special portion of the Spirit that You gave Me, I have given to them. That they may be one, even as we are one, I and them, and Thou and Me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that Thou hast sent me and hast loved them as Thou hast loved me. In that passage I read there, four times Jesus prays for us that we may be one, that we may be unified. 
In fact, He tells us that He has given us the glory that He had, which was His Spirit, so that we might fit together as one. Those are the pieces of the gifts coming together in the church to paint this fuller picture of Christ. He's saying, I'm not only praying for it, I'm doing something so that it can happen. I'm giving them these gifts of My Spirit so that they can be one. But why? Why? Twice He mentions in this prayer that the world will know. That the world may believe. That the world may know and see. That the world can know what? That Jesus loves you. That God loves you just as the Father loved the Son. The Lord wants the world to know that He loves you. (laughs) He wants the world to know that He loves you of what He's accomplished in your life. And so He gave us His Spirit. He gave us the giftedness that comes with being a Christian that we might come together in our local church and be part of that body to make His love known to the world so the world can see the victory that Jesus Christ has won. Four questions I'll leave you with this morning. Number one, have you escaped the captivity of sin and death through faith in Jesus Christ? Have you been saved? Are you still under the curse? Are you still bound up and shackled with no hope but death? My friend, Jesus defeated that enemy to bring you freedom. You don't have to stay there. Second question, if you have escaped once, Have you become ensnared again? You know, death no longer has a hold over you if you're saved. But we can still get ensnared in sin if we venture too close. Just like the dog that's chained up, right? If you get within the reach of its chain, it can still bite you. And my friend, if you've escaped but have become again ensnared, do you know that you don't have to stay there? Satan wants you to believe you can't ever get back out, but that is a lie. Of course he doesn't want you to believe you can get out because when you've been taken captive by him, you're doing what he wants you to do. But Jesus Christ won the victory, my friend. He's won the victory. You don't have to stay there. Third question. If you are saved, if you have been set free and Christ has redeemed you, Are you using your gifts in the context of His local church? If He saved your soul, He wants you to be part of what He is doing in a place. He wants you to be that piece that fits in, that shows more completely the picture of Christ and His victory to this world. And then finally, if you are saved, and if you are a member... Are you exploring and developing and deploying the gifts that Christ won for you? Are you exploring to see how God would have you to serve and developing those gifts and deploying them and using them to make His name great in this place? And it doesn't matter what our role is, from the least to the ones that seem like they're more showy. Every gift 
is necessary in the Lord's church. Every gift is necessary. And it makes Him great. My friend, the Lord wants to show this place, this community, the places where we live, He wants us to see, the world to see, how great Jesus is. There's a song, I know you all know it, I know it's not in our hymnals, I don't think, but it's The King is Coming. And there's a verse from that song, and this to me it just seems to be go along so well with this thought. But it says, happy faces line the hallways. This is that picture of the king coming in that victory parade. Happy faces line the hallways. Those whose lives have been redeemed. Broken homes that He has mended. Those from prison He has freed. Little children and the aged Hand in hand stand all aglow who were crippled, broken, ruined, clad in garments white as snow, a victory won by the King. My friend, He's coming. He's coming. Are you ready for Him to come? Will He be pleased with you when He comes? Those are the two questions that need to seize our mind today. As we have a song, have an invitation today. If you are not ready for the coming of the King, my friend, today is a day to be set free. If you would seek the Lord, if you would turn to Him, turn away from yourself and run to the One who has won the victory. Surrender to Him. And my friend, He will set you free. And if He makes you free, you're free indeed. As we stand and sing, if the Lord is working on your heart, I encourage you to seek the Lord.